So, Shalom everyone. Um, just to get to know me, my name is Moshe Fima, and tonight we're going to learn a little bit about what Breslev Hasidut is. We're going to get into the idea that Breslev isn't really a type of Hasidut, it's a little bit more than that. They have a, Rabbi Nachman, who is the, the leader of this, the, the Rav who started all this, had a very specific mission, which is very, very, very lofty. So we're going to discuss a little bit about it, a little about who, about who Rabbi Nachman was, um, a little bit about what tonight is, which is Asara Betevet, as we know, which discusses the siege around Yerushalayim. That was at the time of the first temple. And we're going to discuss a little bit about the parasha and tie them all together with regard to what we're going to speak about, which is one specific concept about Brasov Hasidut, which Rabbi Nachman really brought into the world. Tonight is also very significant because it's also the Hirula, or what we call the, the day of the memory, the day of the passing of Rabbi Natan, which is the main student of Rabbi Nachman. So it's a very special night, obviously. I think tonight's actually the perfect night to begin our classes, God willing, as we'll, we'll progress forward. Because Rabbi Natan is the main student of Rabbi Nachman. In fact, Rabbi Nachman said many times that without Rabbi Natan, you wouldn't have me, not even one page of my teachings it would be even in Gniza, what we call the, like the, the garbage, the trash. Meaning not even a page would exist of his teachings. So Rabbi Natan, who's the one who really brought Bresla forward and brought it to people all across the world and spread his books to Eretz Yisrael, across Europe and stuff like that, um, we actually owe it to Rabbi Natan. So we'll speak about Rabbi Natan, we'll speak about his Hilula tonight, we'll connect him and what makes him special in connection to the Rabbi, Rabbi Nachman, and discuss Asara Betevet, the parasha, and so on. So before we get started, if anyone would like to give a refuah shlema, that way we, we do the class in their, in their um, for their refuah, God willing. If anyone has a name. Shmuel ben Sarah. Yaakov Kobi in Farmeshi, David Khagmatsarachaya, Menachem Mendel Benadas, and Kol Cholim Amo Israel. May they have a refuah shlema, Bezat Hashem, and in the merit of Rabbi Natan, Rabbi Nachman, and the Torah that we're going to study tonight, may bring them a refuah shlema, both spiritually and physically. Also for Leilu um, Nishmat, meaning the, in order to elevate the soul of the one who, who passed, if anyone has a name they'd like to say. And for all those who have passed, may this, may this Torah bring them a, a lot of nachat, God willing. So, the way the class is going to go tonight, God willing, is we'll discuss for about an hour these concepts that we were speaking about. Specifically, one idea which is about attaching yourself to the tzaddik, which is what Rabbi Nach will, as well, will elaborate later. 
but something Rabbi Nachman really brought down to the world, which was unique at the time. It's not something that you hear very often. Attaching yourself to the tzaddik. And we're going to speak about this because it's, I think, the one fundamental concept you need to understand when you get into the rest of Hasidut. And the rest will follow, God willing, with the rest of the class. So we'll speak about this, we'll connect it to all the concepts, and then after questions, discussion, whatever you guys like, you know? So, to get into the introduction of the class, <clears throat> to start it off, I kind of wanted to begin discussing the situation of the Jewish people today. To really understand why we need Rabbi Nachman and why we need the Tzadikim. But specifically Rabbi Nachman and what it separates him from the others. Not necessarily to say that the others aren't good, God forbid, because they are very righteous. And we know many stories of the Tzadikim that have saved Jewish people over countless generations. So I think we're going to discuss as a whole what separates Rabbi Nachman from the other Tzadikim and the fact that he's able to go down the descent of very low depths to bring the Shemot out from there. So to understand this, we have to realize that today we're very sleepy in a sense. We're unconscious, we can't really understand the things we're doing wrong and right. And Rabbi Nachman says this is the, actually the main problem of today's generation is that the time will come whenever people don't realize whether they're doing something right or wrong, they don't know whether they're doing something right. Even today, we can't even study properly, we can't learn properly, we can't pray properly, we don't speak to Hashem enough, we don't do things in the proper, in the proper way. And the problem is we don't even realize it. So Rabbi Nachman says, how can you help a person that doesn't know he needs help? So today we don't know we need help. And this is the biggest problem. You hear stories of many tzaddikim. Tzaddikim like the Baba Saleh we know. Tzaddikim, even of the Hasidut groups in the past hundred years. The past tzaddikim at the time of Gemara. All the sages over the course of our history. You see them and we see how wondrous they were in the way they, they acted with Hashem Yidrach how much they were totally devoted to serving God. Stories of, you see the Baba Saleh, how many stories, countless stories of how he was, uh, the Ruach HaKodesh that he had, the, the righteousness that he had, that he would walk with his eyes closed and all these things to protect himself from seeing things that weren't proper. And he, you see stories of many tzaddikim and tzaddikot even, that they, they awaken the heart because they tend to, to revitalize a spark within us that we tend to lost, that we've forgotten about. So. It's something beautiful to understand, but the problem is that they're very lofty and they can't understand us. As much as we can try to understand them because they're very high and that we kind of want to regain that spark from finding Hashem and to try to tap into the tzaddikim and to see how, I can in, in, how can I be inspired from them to grow closer to Hashem Ibaq. The biggest problem is, is that they can't descend to the lowest depths and try to bring back a very lost neshama. Because what it requires for that tzaddik is actually to be able to put at risk all the righteousness that he's ever gained for bringing back an ishama that's very lost, that might not even want it. And we're going to see how this connects to Asagah Betevet with the story from the Gemara and Masechet Shabbat later. We'll get to it later. It's just building up the, the tempo for this class right now with understanding where we are. In fact, Rabbi Nachman even begins to talk about a concept that he says, today we're below the 50th gate. What did that mean? We know in Egypt, we descended to the 49th gate of impurity. And what that meant was that if we had descended to the 49th gate of impurity, Hashem, um, we know according to the Chachamim that if we descended to the 50th, there was no way we were getting out. No way. 
That means we are under the hand of Paro at a very spiritual high. The Zohar says that Paro didn't enslave us physically. That was just a, that was just a, an effect of what he really did spiritually. Meaning Paro had the Malach up there, and the Malach up there enslaved the Jewish people spiritually under that, uh, under that angel. So it's a, it's a very scary thought to think. In the 49th gate, we almost didn't ascend out of Egypt. And in fact, it says as well that we actually had no merit to ascend. It's just because God made the promise to Abraham that he brought us out. So we really understand that because we're low, Rabbi Nachman says we're in the 50th gate already. You need a very big, very big, very big uh, medicine that's going to wake us up from this sleep. And what did he say? These are, we're not going to get into it, but he says these are Sipurim uh, Asiot. Very, uh, these are the epic tales that he, uh, that he revealed. He said, how did it? He, brought, he actually explains this according to the, the lesson we learned from Purim. Because he said in Purim, we were also asleep. How did we, get a, how did we send it out, out of that sleep? Actually through Megillat Esther. Because Megillat Esther is actually just a story. In fact, it doesn't even mention the name of God. It's a story hidden within inside it, all these meaningful things that actually could bring us out and inspire within us without even understanding the story, just by reading it. It inspires within us and brings back a spark that can wake us up from our spiritual depth, uh, our spiritual sleep. So that's why when Esther sent to the person, I think it was Ezra, when, he sent, when she sent it to uh, Ezra when he was trying to figure out whether to include Megillat Esther or not as part of the Tanakh, she said you have to include it because without it they wouldn't be able to get out of it later whenever they fall into the 50th gate. I mean, Ahmed said we've even fallen below that. So now even Megillat Esther cannot help. We need something even greater. And that's why Rabbi Nachman revealed something called Sipore Masyot, the epic tales where he reveals deep secrets according to the highest spiritual realms, secrets of the Kabbalah, but also very practical things today for how to act today in which to be able to bring out that spiritual sleep that, we were, that we're in right now, which is even below the 50th gate, below even the 70 nations and all these things. So just to understand where we are spiritually holding right now, it's a very dangerous situation in the sense that we don't realize how far we are. We don't realize we're in Galut. We don't realize we're not in Eretz Yisrael. We don't realize that day by day we're not moving closer to Hashem Yitbach. And the problem is we're, we're not conscious of it. That's the biggest problem. So what we're here today, God willing, is to try to regain a little consciousness, a little understanding of how to bring back that, that spark. So understanding that, I think I'm going to move into now the concept of how Rabbi Nachman came into the world and why he's there for this specific mission of bringing back Neshamot. And how he actually didn't need to re rectify his own soul. He actually came for the gift, just for the plain gift of rectifying us. So I'm going to give a few things about Rabbi Nachman. This is obviously just, as Rabbi Nathan would say, a drop in the ocean. Because Rabbi Nachman, we can't even understand. Rabbi Nachman is so lofty. It's a, it's a light that's so high. You can't even begin to grasp it. Rabbi Nachman said, you can't even grasp me. You can only understand me a little bit through Rabbi Nathan. So he said, you have to learn from him. Don't even learn from me. In fact, Rabbi Nachman would put himself at the corner of the shul whenever all students would pray. And he put Rabbi Nathan in the front. Why? Because Rabbi Nathan actually would be, everyone, would be the person everyone would learn from. Rabbi Nachman is a totally different concept, a totally different inyan, as we'd say. That is, uh, his mission is something totally different. In fact, he actually, there's one, actually once a story of him walking with a big sage at the time. This is around the late 1700s, early 1800s. Um, Rabbi Nachman was in his late 20s. And Rabbi Nachman passed away at the age of 38, like the, age of, like the same age as the Arizal. So 
Rabbi Nachman was actually walking with a big tzaddik called Rabbi Tzvi Ariyem Alik. From uh, Alik is a place in uh, in Eastern Europe, in Ukraine. And Rabbi Nachman had been walking with him. In fact, Rabbi Nachman had prayed before he entered his home that he would be able to match the wisdom of this person. That's how great he was. Meaning, this person was known at that time to be the Chacham Ador, the wisest person of the generation. In fact, they compared him to Shlomo Amelech. That's how wise he was. A genius at his time, someone unparalleled in the Torah that he had. Rabbi Nachman had to pray to Hashem that his words wouldn't be wrong before him, that he'd be able to properly express himself before him. That's to show you how big the level he was. When Rabbi Nachman used to walk with, around with this person and they used to walk in the forest and speak about the tzaddikim at the time, the situation of the Jewish people, they used to discuss the, discuss the mission of every tzaddik at the time. And Rabbi Nachman and Rabbi Tzvi Aryeh were going through each tzaddik at the time. The Baratania, all the big tzaddikim, the, the, the first Chabad Rebbe, all the big tzaddikim of all the Hasidut groups, even the, the, the tzaddikim that weren't even part of Hasidut, all the big tzaddikim, even the past, history, the, the past tzaddikim, they were discussing every mission of every tzaddik. And they were going through each person. And when it came to Rabbi Tzvi Aryeh, he started explaining his mission. Rabbi Nachman said yes. And when Rabbi Tzvi Aryeh asked, Rabbi Nachman, what's your mission? He said, ah, that no one can understand. My mission is, is, so, is so beyond understandable that I can't explain it to anyone. It's, it's something so high, it, no one can describe it. In fact, we'll get, a little, we'll get to it a little bit later, but there's a midrash explaining how, how Rabbi Nachman was already, the thought of Rabbeinu, the thought of Rabbi Nachman was already brought back way at the beginning of creation. When God decided to create the world, there's a story with Rabbi Nachman's neshama. I will discuss that a little bit later. But with regard to our concept that we were saying earlier, that we're in a very deep spiritual uh, sleep, the only way to understand how to get out of it is actually, Rabbi Nachman explains the concept. He says, not only do you have to bind yourself to the tzaddik, but you have to bind yourself to a certain tzaddik. Why is that? There are certain tzaddikim that are very high, but they can't descend, as we were talking about earlier. But there's a tzaddik that's very, very high, but also can descend himself to the lowest places. Why? As in lesson eight of Likutu Moran, which is Rabbi Nachman's masterwork, he begins to describe an idea that there's a tzaddik that's so high, but he can also go down to the lowest depths and be able to fight the reshaim at that place. Meaning he's not even scared of the fact that whenever he's down there in the lowest, in the lowest places, that he'd be tempted to do these things. Why? Because he's completely nullified his, his physicality in this world. He's completely broken his ta'avot, his evil desires, to the point where there's no temptation whatsoever. Even if he's in the worst places, he doesn't even have a thought of it. Meaning the tzaddikim, they aren't even sinning at the level of action. They're not even sinning at the level of thoughts. That's to show you how big they are. In fact, Rabbi Nachman is one of five very spiritual neshamot, very lofty neshamot, that never tasted sin at the time of Adam HaRishon. What did that mean? We know the Baal Shem Tov claimed, as is discussed in a concept from the Arizal, the Arizal discusses in a book called Shargi Gurim, one of his works called The Gate of Reincarnation. He discusses a concept that the level of a tzaddik that's so high, a level of a soul that's so high, that it never tasted from the tree of Adam, the tree of the etzadat, the tree of knowledge. How is that? Because we know according to the Kabbalah, according to the way the Zohar explains it and the Arizal, that the Adam HaRishon, he encompassed all the 600,000 neshamot of Bnei Israel. He encompassed within his own neshama all the 600,000 neshamot. And when he tasted from the tree, what happened is that all the neshamot got scattered across all the places in the world. 
he broke them. And in fact, then rather than being in one body, which was his own, they got separated. And now that's why we had to get keep getting reincarnated. That's why there are many several different people in this world. That's why there are more people and there's more nishamot. There's sparks of nishamot scattered around all over the place. That's why we have to go to different places to retrieve certain sparks because through Adam's sin, he scattered every spark of every spiritual thing and threw it across and broke it to every place in the, every every place across the world, all the four corners of the earth. But had Adam not sinned, the Mashiach would have come. It would have been finished. Adam would have tasted God's light, and it would have been the the world would have been rectified completely. So. What did that mean, though, that there are five nishamot that never tasted from the, from the tree? The Bar Shem Tov said that when Adam was about to taste the tree, I was one of the nishamot that told him, don't do it. And when I saw that he was about to do it, I ascended out of his, out of his body and ascended to a different spiritual realm so that I was not affected by this tasting. Why? Because when Adam ate from the tree, all the nishamot within him were blemished by it. Whether we like it or not, we're all blemished, so our minds are blemished. Our actions are blemished by default. Even though we think we're pure, even though we're born, we think pure, by default, our minds are blemished. Our moach, our intellect is blemished. Because what's the first thing that processes the taste of the fruit that Adam did? The mind. So because of that, our mind is blemished. And we need to blind ourselves to a person, a nishama, that's so lofty that it never actually got tainted by the sin. That's why the Bashem Tov says, before Adam tasted from the tree, I ascended out of his body so that there would be a certain nishama that people can latch onto to understand what it means to be totally attached to God without the taste of sin. And by doing this, by attaching to one of these five nishamot, which is actually part of the soul of Moshe Rabbeinu, because the five nishamot all are drawn from the soul of Moshe, being that the five nishamot are Moshe Rabbeinu, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the author of the Zohar, the Arizal, the Bar Shem Tov, and the last one who claimed to be this was Rabbi Nachman. They're all attached to each other, and their attachment is in the idea that they too also encompass the 600,000 Nishamot of Bnei Yisrael. Just like Adam encompassed them but broke it, they too encompass it. That's why Rabbi Nachman said before he traveled to Eretz Yisrael, when he was around 28, he said, I can't sleep anymore. You know why? Because the 600,000 letters of the Torah are passing before my eyes. What did that mean? The Zohar makes an allusion to the 600,000 letters of the Torah, being that there's the 600,000 nishamot of Bnei Israel. There's 600,000 nishamot, and by regrouping them to the tzaddik that encompasses all of these nishamot, we allow them actually to repair the sin of Adam. So when you bind yourself to a tzaddik like Rabbi Nachman and the Baal Shem Tov, and the Arizal, and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and Moshe Rabbeinu by default, what you do in essence is you actually repair the sin of Adam. Because what Adam did was he, bro he broke off those nishamot, he scattered, them, he scattered them across the four corners of the earth. And when we come back to the tzaddik, the true tzaddik, that's at this level that never tasted from this, the tree of Adam, can you imagine? When you do this, you actually bring back and you do the tikkun Adam. This is what's going to bring a Mashiach. When nishamot bind themselves to this tzaddik and these tzaddikim at this level that are able to rectify souls. They're called the Bala Sadeh. This is a very mystical concept in the sense that Rabbi Nachman has a lesson in Likutu Moran where he discusses what it means to be a Bala Sadeh. What does it mean a Bala Sadeh? It means the master of the field. What's the field? The huh? Exactly. So the Shekhinah is, it's, the Shekhinah is above the field being that we know at Tikkun Chatzot the Zohar says 
the Shekhinah descends from the Olam HaAtzilut, the highest world up there, the spiritual world, and descends to the world of Beria where there's the Gan Eden. And there, it's dwelled with all the Tzadikin in the Gan, in the garden, and I learned Torah with them. And anyone who wakes up at Chatzot is able to taste the spiritual light of the Shekhinah. It's able actually to draw in that light. And it says that anyone who wakes up at Chatzot draws in a beautiful uh, fragrance to their body. Because what happens? It compares it to actually the, the vegetation of the Gan, the Garden of Eden, uh, being lifted up. Because what's the vegetation? What are the trees? What are the plants? What are the herbs of this garden? They're our souls. These trees are actually alluding to our souls. It's a metaphor for our souls, as Allah says. And when we wake up at Chatzot, we actually arouse our souls to come closer to Hashem, to sit down with the Tzadikim. In fact, it says, God and the Tzadikim come down to this world to hear the Torah that is being studied at Chatzot. That's why one of the main concepts of Rabbi Nachman's teachings is actually to wake up at Chatzot, to break your sleep, to wake up, to, to do Tikkun Chatzot, which is comprised of Tikkun Rachel and Tikkun Nea, Tehidim, and mourning over the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash and all these things. And when you do that, you study Torah, and by the morning at the sunrise, you look up at the sky. That draws in the intellect. But not to get into this entire idea. Basically, our neshamot are an allusion to the, to the garden. We're the trees of the garden. And who's the master of the field? It's the tzaddik that tends the garden. Because we know that the tzaddik that's tending the garden, giving food and, and, and giving, um, giving life to all the trees. Because without it, the tzaddik, there's no life in fact. So Rabbi Nachman says that the tzaddik that's so high, meaning from this level, what is called Moshe Mashiach, meaning that it's the soul of Moshe, which is the soul of the Mashiach, because Mashiach also is going to be drawn from one of these five neshamot. And because this neshama is so high, what it's able to do is to draw life to everyone in the world. In fact, it says life is drawn from who? The tzaddik. Because the tzaddik is the life force of the entire world. We're not going to get into all these ideas. I'm just explaining a little bit about what Rabbi Nachman, just a little introduction about who Rabbi Nachman was and what he explained why it's important to attach yourself to the tzaddik. So, discussing how big Rabbi Nachman is though, doesn't really, meaning how lofty is, doesn't really touch our point because what I'm trying to get to is the point of how low he descends. Because what makes the tzaddik even bigger is that he's able to go from his height to the depth to retrieve Neshemot, not just to separate himself. So, Rabbi Nachman, it, Rabbi Nachman explains, he says that, he, there's a pasuk in Halel, it says, Even ma'asu abonim, hayta pina. Even ma'asu abonim, what are abonim, the stones? The stones represent, represent the souls. As it's in Tanakh, the soul weeps, the, there's crying that weeps out from the stone. And we know there's many, there's many souls stuck in the, in the stones, as we know stories from the Arizal, that he'd listen to stones that were crying out, and he'd actually go speak to stones, because he knew of certain neshamot that were stuck in stone that he needed to repair. But aside from that, the stone represents the soul. And even ma'asu meaning the stones that were disgusted by who? The builders. Even, the stone, ma'asu, disgusted by habonim, the, the ones who constructed. What did that mean? There's constructors. Who are they? There's builders. There's the tzaddikim. They build all the neshamot. They bring them closer to Hashem. But what's the problem? The tzaddikim were disgusted by our stones. What are the stones? The souls. Eben ma'asu abonim. The tzaddikim were disgusted by the stones. The souls. Ha'ita le'roshpina though. But by the end, this is a prophecy, it says. In the end of times, ha'ita le'roshpina. These souls that were 
initially disgusted by the earliest tzaddikim will then become the rosh pina, the, the head, the mountain of it, the, the top of it, the, the, the icing on the cake. How is that? Because Rabbi Nachman explained that the tzaddik at this level, Moshe Mashiach being that, one of, my, one of these five neshamot, specifically me, that I'm able to bring out what all the other tzaddikim couldn't do, being that they couldn't repair these souls, they couldn't attach these souls and bring them up to higher places. Because these tzaddikim weren't willing to descend to the lowest depths to bring out these souls. What Rabbi Nachman said though, is that eventually, not only will these souls not be disgusted, they were gonna be the top of the mountain, the top of the, the building. What did that mean? When the tzaddikim were building these structures, what are the structures? We know the third Beit HaMikdash is gonna be built out of all the tefilot of Am Yisrael. It's gonna come directly from the, from the Shanaim. It's not gonna be built down here. Why? Because all the tefilot that, that we have been accumulating for thousands of years are gonna eventually accumulate and accumulate and accumulate to the point where each tefillah is gonna enter its proper place in the Beit HaMikdash and descend completely whole. But what is it built out of? It's built out of our neshamot, our tefillot. Our, our prayers, our souls. But the tzaddikim didn't want to use us because they couldn't descend down to the lowest depths and bring out the tfilot from our poor tfilot back then. The reshaim who had poor tfilot and who didn't have proper uh, prayer. They couldn't use those tfilot. They couldn't use them and bring them up there and to be able to incorporate them within the Beit HaMikdash. So who had a place in the third Beit HaMikdash? Only the tzaddikim. That's why it says the stones were disgusted by the, the first builders. Why? Because the first builders didn't want to use the stones. It's like someone who, who's in construction. He doesn't want to use the bricks that are, are completely broken. He throws them across the side and uses all the good ones until all that's left are the bad ones. And then he tries to use them and put them in places that he can hide. No. Hashem is saying in, this, in Tanakh, uh, this prophecy is explaining that the stones that were initially, the stones that were thrown away by the builders will eventually become what? the highest pieces. They're gonna become the chandelier, they're gonna become the most beautiful jewels. Rabbi Nachman said, I'm gonna lead you upon a path that's very ancient, that it's very complete, it's completely new. I'm gonna lead you on a path that's, a path of the biggest tzaddik, even the biggest tzaddikim will not be led on a path like this, that I'm gonna lead even my simplest student on. All you need to do is attach yourself to me. Bring me mortar and brick, he said. Bring me the mortar and the brick, bring me all your effort, bring me everything you can, and I'll make out of those the most wondrous building, he said. So what Rabbi Nachman did is he allowed us to actually have a Torah that's applicable today in the sense that we can actually do it. Because half the things we don't do today. You look at Shulchan Aruch, we don't even know Shulchan Aruch, we don't know the Halachot, we go through Shulchan Aruch, we can barely even read Shulchan Aruch. So how do you expect us to do all of Halacha, all the stringency that they used to do back in the time of the Gemara, back in the time of our history? We don't even compare to them. But Rabbi Nachman went up so high and suffered so much so that he can bring down a, a very lofty Torah that anyone could do, even the most simplest Jew. And because of that, because of this, what we call this norm alion, this supernal, this supernal pleasure, this joy of the Torah that he's gonna bring down, a, a Torah that's not full of Yisurim, full of, uh, um, what do you call it? Full of suffering, full of like um, displeasure, meaning fasting and all these things that was normal back then. He's gonna bring a Torah that we can do through eating besimcha, dancing, singing, um, connecting yourself to the tzaddik, serving Hashem with simplicity. You don't need all the kavanot. All you need to do is to, to really want it, the ratzon, the desire. These simple things that Rabbi Nachman brought into the world, mitzvah gedol besimcha tamid, that's his phrase. It's a very big mitzvah to be happy always. 
these things that he brought down to the world are going to rejuvenate the world and re-inspire the world to be able to serve God in a way that is totally unique. Not a way that was done for thousands of years before, but a way that's new, a way that's doable, something that's agreeable, something that's, uh, that's possible for today. And when we do it like this and we, we, we do our best and we bring the mortars and the brick to the tzaddik, what that allows us to do is actually to build the most wondrous structures and we'll become eventually the most talked about nishamot. Not the nishamot that were discarded. They'll become the nishamot, the biggest tzaddikim. And the, the biggest problem, Rabbi Nachman says, is one day, Rabbi Nathan, I'm going to explain a little story to explain what I'm about to say. One day, the main student, Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Nathan, he ended up walking in the room. And Rabbi Nachman said, in order to work, if you have to work very hard for something, it means you have a lack of emunah. Meaning, if you have to really, really work hard and to really break your, break your head over it, it means it's a lack of faith if you don't leave it to Hashem. Because what that's showing is that you're not leaving it totally to Hashem. You're saying, I have to do everything. Meaning, you do your part and you leave the rest to Hashem. Leave it to Hashem because Hashem knows how to do everything. Don't try to be the one manipulating everything to the point where you have to break your head over it. Just leave it to Hashem. You're able to do it, Rabbi Nachman says, your meditation and all these things. But Rabbi Nathan got very discouraged by these words. Why? Because he had a very hard time writing down his chidushim in the book called Likut Elachot, which is his masterpiece. Which is a commentary, the secrets of the Shulchan Aruch. Explain how practically every Harakhan Shulchan Aruch can be practically uh, uh, done today. And it can be done with the Simcha and all these things. All the concepts of Likut Moran, Rabbi Nachman's teachings, are brought into Likut Elachot and illuminate Shulchan Aruch in a totally different lens. But Rabbi Nathan wasn't uh, encouraged by this. He got discouraged because he saw how hard he was working and he said, that means I have a lack of emunah. Rabbi Nachman told him, no, you don't have a lack of emunah in God. But the problem is you have a lack of emunah in yourself. And in order to have emunah in God, you have to have emunah in yourself first. So in order to become Moshe Rabbeinu, in order to become a tzaddik at that level, you have to believe in it. You have to believe you can become that. And the way to become a Moshe Rabbeinu is if you believe in it first. Not that you have emunah in Hashem. Yes, that comes second. But believe you can do it and then the rest will come. That's the start. Believe in yourself and then you believe in God. You can't have belief in God without believing in yourself first. So, this is something we should ingrain in ourselves to really dig deep and to tell ourselves that every one of us can be the next Moshe Rabbeinu. Any one of us. So, continuing, Rabbi Nachman also said, he said, right before he, he passed away, he said, he told the students, I want to stay here with you. And to explain this, I'm going to explain another story. There was once a big tzaddik called Rabbi Elimelech Milizhensk, a big chassid at that time. And about him, it says that one day before Rosh Hashanah, he had already passed away. He'd come to his, dream, uh, to his student in a dream. And he told his student, Rosh Hashanah is approaching, pray very hard because up there I see a decree that, that you gather I'm going to be happy with. So the student gathered all these things and started preparing for Rosh Hashanah. Elul came in time for Tshuva. And he started praying and praying and praying and praying. And Rosh Hashanah came and he, he poured out his heart. Immediately after Rosh Hashanah, he prayed to Hashem Yitbach, the Rebona Shalom, that the Rabbi Eli Melech Milizhens, his teacher, would come back down to explain what had happened and whether the decree had been overturned or not. When Rabbi Eli Melech came back down in his dream, he asked him, did I finish, uh, did, did, uh, did the degree overturn? And Rabbi Elimelech responded, no, it got even worse. You have to pray on Yom Kippur. And by this, the student was very confused. He said, 
If I've been praying so hard and you're up there, you know you're right next to God. You see God, you're sitting with God, you're in Ganed and you're right next to Hashem. You can't pray for me? He started asking Abi Ali Melech Medijans. Started asking him, he said, you can't pray for me? What is this? I have to start uh, breaking my head over this stuff that you can't put in a word for. He said, no. The problem is, Abi Ali Melech responded, he said, up there, when we're next to Hashem Yisbah, we know everything is for the best. We see the entire plan. We know down there for you guys it sucks, it suffers, that you guys suffer. But for us, we can't do anything because we see it's perfectly uh, normal. So we can't, uh, we can't do anything for you. It has, to be, it has to come from you. And that, that perfectly explains where Rabbi Nachman is. Because Rabbi Nachman said, I'm not going up to Ganadin yet. I'm not going to sit next to Hashem. He made a promise. He said, I'm going to the lowest depths of Gainam to retrieve every last neshama. In order that no neshama, no soul is left in the room before uh, the Mashiach. Meaning after the Mashiach. Meaning I don't want one neshama to be left in Gainam in hell. I want every neshama to have a place in Ganadin. And that's why he says, I'm staying down here with you. I'm not going up there. Why? So that he can pray for us down here. Because what did he tell Hashem? He doesn't tell Hashem. He doesn't come down here and tell us to pray. He himself prays for each and every one of us. As he said, I'm going to pray for each and every one of you. And one who comes to, to my kebab, as he said, does tikkun afari, the ten teilim, uh, that he uh, composed in, this, in that specific order, which is a rectification for every single thing in this world, every damage in this world, specifically for the breath. He said, anyone who comes to my kebab, does tikkun afari in my merit, and who gives a phutal tztaka, gives a coin tztaka, I'll pull him out of the depths of Gainan by his peot. Why? Because he has a power, this, this tzaddik has a power, just like David Amenach could pull out his son, Avshalom, just by saying, Avshalom beni, Avshalom beni, my son, my son, eight times. David, the Midrash says, Af, uh, David, uh, David Amenach said, Avshalom beni, Avshalom beni. After Avshalom had, um, after Avshalom had completely disrespected his father and went against the kingdom of David. In fact, he tried to kill his own father and tried to overturn. David had to flee from Yerushalayim. And David had so much pity over his son, even though he was doing all these things to him. Because Absalom thought he deserved the, the kingship when it was given to Shlomo. Absalom ended up getting uh, hung on a tree. It said he was riding a, uh, what was it? He was riding a horse and stuff like that. And he, uh, he ended up getting hung on a tree. And when David heard this, he started crying. He said, Absalom beni, Absalom beni. Absalom beni, eight times. Absalom my son, Absalom my son. Why? Because the Midrash says, that through each time he said, Avshalom Beni, he pulled him out at each level of Gainam, because we know there's seven levels of hell. And he pulled him out with the eighth time he said, Avshalom Beni, Teganedem. Meaning, even though a person has no merit whatsoever, because we know Avshalom went down to the lowest place in Gainam after the worst sins that he did, he went and he took, all his, he took all his father's things, things you don't even want to know. With David Amenech's words, Avshalom Beni, Saying that eight times he pulled him up to Ganadim. Just to show you the power of the tzaddik that he's able to pull up a neshama he wants to. So Rabbi Nachman said, if you come to me and do tikkun akari, I'll be able to tell God that you have enough merit that I'll be able to pull you out. Meaning, I'm going to do the most positive judgment for you. It's not going to be like I'm just pulling you out without any merit. Come to me, come to the tzaddik, show me the will that you have to change. As he says in Chayyim Oran, in the biography of Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Nathan writes, this is dependent upon changing, the will to change. If you have the will to change and you come to, to Rabbi Nachman and to you do the Tikkun Akali with a desire to come, to come close to the Tzaddik that he helps you and he guides you coming closer to Hashem, with this desire he'll be able to pull you out of the lowest depths. No matter how far low you are, you can be pulled out. So that's a little bit of the comfort of Rabbi Nachman. 
And what is Rabbi Nachman's name? It's drawn from the word Nachman. What's Nachman? It's Nachamu, comfort. Rabbi Nachman is the comforting of this world. And who is he? The son of Simcha. Simcha was his father, the son of happiness. His entire inyan was bringing down the mitzvah. Mitzvah gedola liyot besimcha tamid. So we see that Rabbi Nachman's entire inyan, his entire mission in this world, just a tiny piece we can discuss because we don't even understand it really, is to say that Rabbi Nachman had a specific mission to bring down a Torah that can be done by even the simplest Jew who doesn't know how to study, doesn't know how to do anything. Even he has a place in this Torah, in the Torah of Hashem. And even he can be brought up to the biggest place in Ghana, the biggest place and have the biggest reward. So, a little bit of that about Rabbi Nachman, because there's a lot more to speak about, but we can't get to everything. I'll move on to Asara Betevet and discuss a little bit of what we were talking about earlier with regard to the different tzaddikim and how they weren't able to descend very low. Because it takes a very big tzaddik to descend very low. Just like it says about Hashem, Bimkom Gedulato, Sham Atam Betanuto. It says about Hashem Yidbach. In the place of his greatness, there you find his humility. Meaning what? <laughs> Meaning in the place where he's very great, you see how low he's made himself. Meaning the bigger, the bigger the tzaddik, like at the level of Moshe Rabbeinu, as we know, he was, Moshe Rabbeinu was the biggest tzaddik because it says, <laughs> Moshe and Moshe was the, the most humble person. What, the, the, what determines the tzaddik, the bigger the, the bigger tzaddik, it determines him by his humility. And we know Rabbi Nachman made many allusions to his humility. And we think humility is something saying that, um, oh, I'm, uh, it's something like moving away from humility, being someone complimenting you and you say, no, that's not, no, that's not humility. I mean, Nachman says, humility is knowing where you are placed. It's knowing with your level that you're at, but before Hashem Yitbach, you make yourself nothing. That's what you're able to do. It's you're able to make yourself nothing before every Jew. Every Jew to bring back every Jew and all these things. So the higher the tzaddik, the bigger is humility. And the bigger his humility, the more he can descend low to bring back Neshamot, which is what Moshe Rabbeinu, that's why he had to descend down to Egypt. That's why Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said, in the merit of my Zohar, the Jewish people are going to be redeemed from the exile. He said, he brings the, the, the story in Masechet Shabbat, it says, all the, all the tzaddikim at the time, all the, the biggest tzaddikim, the sages at the time, they gathered in Yavne, and they began discussing the fate of the Jewish people. This is Masechet Shabbat, at the, towards the end. And they started saying that, the Torah would be forgotten from Am Yisrael because they brought the Pasuk. It, uh, they didn't bring the Pasuk. They said, with the way it's going right now, B'nai Yisrael are, are headed for, for the doom. They're, they're not going well. They won't be able to remember the Torah and the Torah is going to be very hard to, for them to keep. But what did Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai say? He was one of the youngest ones at the time. He told all the sages, no, that's not true. The Torah will be remembered in merit of what my book, why? Because he brought the pasuk, because it will not be forgotten from the mouth of his descendant. If you take and you take the last words, it spells out the word Yochai. Who's Yochai? The father of Rabbi Shimon. Meaning in the merit of the son of Rabbi it will not be forgotten from the descendant of this person. Who's this person? Yochai. It won't be forgotten in the merit of who? Rabbi Shimon by, Rabbi Shimon by Yochai. In the merit of Rabbi Shimon and his book, the Zohar, Rabbi Shimon says, will be redeemed from the exile. And because of this, the Torah will never be forgotten. And that's the, the sacrifice that you, this tzaddik had to have, Rabbi Shimon, who was one of the five neshamot, that was able to descend to these low depths, to bring back these neshamot, to, to go up very high, to bring back a Torah that everyone can do. And Rabbi Nachman said on the continuation of Rabbi Shimon, because Nachman ben Simcha is Gimatria Shimon ben Yochai. They're from the same soul. 
And Rabbi Nachman and Rabbi Shimon have the same minyan, they're the same concept. Rabbi Nachman is the, the same reincarnation of Rabbi Shimon who came down to the world to further the, the mission of Rabbi Shimon and to bring back all the souls that were lost that in the merit of Likutim Oran now, in the merit of the book, his book, Rabbi Nachman's book, Likutim Oran, the Jewish people will be redeemed from the exile. As Rabbi Nachman once said, with the snap of a finger I could bring the Mashiach. He said I could forget everything that I'm doing with all my students, forget what I'm doing with them to bring them close to Hashem. Forget everything. With the snap of a finger, I'll bring the Mashiach. But what's the problem? That's not the point of why I'm here. I need to do something even bigger than bringing the Mashiach. What's that? To bring back all the Neshamot. Because once the Mashiach comes, free will is lost. When the Mashiach comes, God's going to be re revealed in this, in this world and there's not going to be a choice whether we're going to choose God or not. We're going to see God. We're going to want Him completely or not. There's not going to be that free will anymore to choose Hashem. What did Rabbi Nachman say? My mission is to prolong the Mashiach for a little bit, just so I can bring back as many Neshamot possible. And Rabbi Nachman said, when my teachings are spread across the four corners of the earth, that's when the Mashiach will come. When everyone will have a taste of my teachings, and will have it at, the, at their, uh, their table. Meaning that everyone will have an opportunity to be able to open up his books. And Rabbi Nachman said, all the Kelim I've used, I've set up for the Mashiach. All, I've set up all the, the tools for the Mashiach, all the vessels. In fact, Rabbi Nachman said even the Mashiach will have to come to him to receive his tikkun. Because Rabbi Nachman and the Mashiach are closely linked together. As it says in the Midrash, and this is a beautiful Midrash, as, we were, as I said I was going to explain, explain earlier. There's a Midrash at the beginning of the creation of the world that says that once when Hashem and Ibarach was about to create the world, all the Marachim came to him. The Marachim came to Hashem and they said, you're going to create the world, but man's going to sin. Adam HaRishon is going to sin. Why create the world if you're going to create something that's a ticking time bomb? You're going to create the world so that man can sin and so that you can punish him. What's the point? Hashem didn't know what to say. It says, it's a, in fact, it says, It says Hashem threw the emet to the ground. What's the emet? In fact, it says, Emet is a chotamo shera kadosh baruchu. In fact, it says in the Gemara that emet, the name emet, truth, is the seal of God. Meaning when God wants to sign a decree in this world, He signs it Emet, by His name Emet. What did God do? He threw his, the angel of truth Himself down to the ground because there was a predicament going on. He needed something else to come in and to make a claim for us to the creation of the world. Not to say, God forbid, that God didn't know what to say. Obviously, He was waiting for something to happen. And what was it? It says, He was waiting for the Pasuk, as it says further on, just as he threw the emet to the ground, emet a new emet sprouted from the earth. What's this new emet? This emet is called the tzaddik. Why? Because the tzaddik is compared to the earth. Meaning, where did the emet sprout from the earth? Why? Because the tzaddik is trampled on. It said in the Gemara that the tzaddikim are compared to the earth. Why? Because everyone tramples on the tzaddik like nothing. No one realizes the tzaddik, everyone tramples on his honor and everything. So a, a tzaddik came out from the ground. What does that mean? It says that Nishama in the Midrash, Nishama came out and said, Hashem, I'll be the guarantor for this world. Create the world because I'll bring back everyone with Shuba. And it says God created the world. But Rabbi Nachman goes on further. He says, the problem was, there was something that they didn't explain. That was a Nishama of the Mashiach that came out from under the Kisiyah Kavod and said, I'll be the guarantor for the world. The Mashiach said, I'll guarantee that I'll bring back the world with Shuba. So create the world, God. It doesn't matter if Adam was sin because I'll repair his sin. But it said, I mean, Nachman says, God stopped there. He said, no, I can't create the world still because I see that you need someone else to be able to, to bring back the world. Meaning even you at the final generation will not be able to recognize the Jewish people. 
you're going to be so entrenched in the physicality. The Jewish people are going to be so lost at the final generation, they won't even retain their spirituality anymore. Their souls are going to be completely lost. So what did he say? He says, even you, the Mashiach, will not be able to recognize who's a Jew or not. So what did Rabbi Nachman say? He says, a second Nishama came out from the Kisek about and said, I'll be the guarantor for the Mashiach, and I'll guarantee that the Mashiach will be able to do his job. And Rabbi Nachman said, that was me. So the Mashiach and Rabbi Nachman said, Rabbi Nachman said, I was there to prepare the, the work of the Mashiach, what the Mashiach will do. He said, I'm, I'm here to prepare. So uh, Rabbi Nachman said, the Mashiach has no excuse so as not to bring back the world because I prepared everything for him. Everything. All the Torah that I brought down from the, from the, upper, uh, from the upper realm, as Rabbi Nachman said, I brought the Torah from a source that's so high, no one's ever received from this source. Not even Rabbi Shimon Baruch received the Torah from this source. And he brought down a Torah so high that's able to be used by everyone. He said, Mashiach is going to use my teachings to be able to bring back the world. In fact, the Mashiach is going to go to Uman and to receive his Tikkun, but that's a different Indian entirely. I mean, Nachman writes that, not, uh, not me, so don't think I'm, uh, I'm making this up. But uh, these are big words from a big person. And we know that Rabbi Nachman is not just an ordinary, ordinary person. So, understanding that, just to move on, because uh, time is uh, approaching. There's this Indian about Asara Betevet, before we get into Rabbi Nathan. Because in order to understand Rabbi Nachman, you need to understand a student of Rabbi Nathan, who's Hilula tonight, specifically, so it's... Very big to talk about Rabbi Nathan. And the reason why I'm spending so much time on Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Rabbi Nachman, is because the biggest praise for Rabbi Nathan is not speaking about Rabbi Nathan. Rabbi Nathan would want for us tonight to speak, to speak about Rabbi Nachman because he's nullified himself completely to the point where it was, just, it was just Rabbi Nachman. All he was about, all his entire mission was about spreading Rabbi Nachman. So all he was here in this world was to do was to spread Rabbi Nachman's teaching. So he said, the biggest thing for me is don't praise me, praise Rabbi Nachman. And understanding that, when we praise Rabbi Nachman, we really understand how big Rabbi Nathan had to be to be able to continue Rabbi Nachman's legacy. Being that it was only Rabbi Nathan, who was actually the youngest one of his, all of his students. As we know, Rabbi Nachman had many students. He had even a student at the age of 70 that came to him. A big Magid who knew the Baal Shem Tov and the Magid and Mezrich, can you imagine? The biggest tzaddikim at the time. Uh, called the Magid of Terovitsa. Rabbi Yekutiel was his name. And this Rabbi Yekutiel came at the age of 70 and said, Rabbi Nachman, I'm your student, that's it. I take away all my titles, my title, Rab, everything, I'm your student. Because when there's a tzaddik that's emet, the truth, and you recognize it, there's no going around it. So, just to show you that Rabbi Nathan was 20 when he approached, 22 when he approached Rabbi Nathan for the first time, and became a student within a few months and stuff like that, his main student. Rabbi Nachman said, no one understands anything about me. Rabbi Nathan was the only one who understood maybe a little bit. And from Rabbi Nathan, we can understand and get a grasp of a little bit about Rabbi Nachman. So we'll learn into Asar Abetevet because Rabbi, Nachman, Rabbi Nathan's Hirura, his yard site, falls out on this day specifically for a certain reason that we're going to discuss. And we'll connect it to the Barasha and finish off. So it says about Asar Abetevet, we know that Asar Abetevet, uh, three things happen on this day. I think there's the Torah that was translated into the Greek language. Um, also that uh, Ezra HaSofer passed away, and that the siege around Yerushalayim also um, was uh, occurred on this day. Nebuchadnezzar put siege around Yerushalayim. Even so, there's other things that happened that I just, uh, I just can't put my, my finger on it right now. But it says that the first bit, this was the beginning of the end for the first bit Amigdash. And how did the first bit Amigdash get destroyed? It says it was destroyed for three reasons. Avodah Zarah, 
for idol worship, shfichut damim, murder, and for giloy uh, immoral relations. And for these three things, the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. But interestingly enough, the Gemaral Masechet Shabbat in 55, on 55a, that 55a, as Rabbi Moshe was saying last year on, uh, on this day specifically, he gave a shiur Torah and he explained this concept about Asara Betevet. He was saying that Asara Betevet, it's in the Gemara, at the time when Nebuchadnezzar put siege around Yerushalayim and that the Beit HaMikdash was getting destroyed, God told Malach Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, here, inscribe a mark on the forehead of the Tzadikim and the Gashayim. Inscribe a mark of ink on the forehead of the Tzadikim and inscribe a mark of blood on the forehead of the Gashayim. That way when the Malach HaMavit comes and decides to take the people that aren't worthy of living in this world over all the sins that they've done, um, Hashem tells Malach Gabriel, with this mark, the Malach HaMavit, the, the angel of death, will be able to distinguish between the Tzadik and the Gashayim. <clears throat> Immediately when the Satan, when the accuser heard of this, he went up to Hashem and he said, Hashem, why are the tzaddikim not going to be punished and the rishayim will be punished? Hashem obviously answered. He said, because the tzaddikim did good and the rishayim did bad. But the satan goes on and he says, but what do you mean? Shouldn't the tzaddikim have helped the rishayim? Isn't it the tzaddik's obligation to help a rishayim? And Hashem says, but what do you mean? Even if the tzaddikim helped the rishayim, they still wouldn't have worked. Even if they tried to rebuke the rishayim, it still wouldn't have worked. But the Satan responded, he said, Hashem, only you know that, not the Tzadikim. So they didn't even try. So <laughs> they have to be punished as well. So and said, God took back that decree. The only time in history, it says in the Gemara, this was the only time in history God back, took back a good decree and changed it for bad. The only time. So understanding that, there's an inyan here, there's an idea here that the essence of Asara Betevet and the destruction of the temple is actually with regard to the Tzadikim not helping the Rishayim. This is actually one of the core principles of why the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, being that the Tzadikim didn't take upon themselves to be able to help the Rishayim that were, that were there at the time, that they didn't have the merit and things like this. The Tzadikim weren't able to descend down low and to bring back these souls. And they didn't even try to do it. It's like the pasuk we described in Halal, Eben Ma'asu Abonim. The first builders were disgusted by the stones. It's literally this. But what happened? Rabbeinu said, The tikkun of this is going to be what? Rabbi Natan. How? Because Rabbi Natan, Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Natan's main inan, and Rabbi Nachman's main inan, meaning they're, they're, the main principle of Breslev Chassidut that we were explaining, the title of this class was, What is Breslev? If you want to describe Breslev in one word, it's the mercy of one Jew has for another. It's the, it's, the, it's the positive judgment of another Jew. It's the, it's the judging the kafschut, it's done the kafschut, it's judging favorably another Jew. It's the one lesson Rabbi Nachman taught that he said every Jew has to live by this. It's the lesson called Azamra, I will sing. Because in order to sing to God, you must find the good within yourself. But also, for another person, you have to find the good within him. And when you find the good within another person and you don't rebuke him, you actually find good in him and you tell him it's good points. He's able to sing to Hashem. He's able to do tshuva. He's able to come back. So he said that's the remedy for this. The way these tzaddikim, um, they, they acted back then by not, um, what do you call it? By not bringing back the Hashem is because they didn't have the tools. Until Rabbi Natan, whose entire inyan was literally judging every Jew positively. In fact, it says that Rabbi Natan, his entire thing he was known for was totally just judging every Jew positively. He never made a rebuke to anyone. He was just in total happiness, in total bringing back every Jew through the concept of Simcha, which was Rabbi Nachman's main inan, to, to be happy constantly and to, to bring back everyone with the, with the judging positively. In fact, 
Rabbi Nachman says, the biggest problem is if you rebuke someone and they don't, they're not willing to take it and you judge someone poorly. What happens is, up there, when a person starts doing sins constantly, it becomes dried out, meaning God isn't necessarily as affected by it as much because he's constantly doing it. And because he's constantly doing these sins, what happens is, the uh, Hashem is not, is not totally affected by it. He's not, he he, he kind of loses his feeling over it if a person constantly does sin and makes it happen. But when a person judges a person negatively, and he, what do you call it? And he steps on this person, meaning he brings out this negative odor from within him, and it re-incites a bad judgment upon him. So in fact, what does Rabbi Nachman say? You're killing the person because when you do that, and you bring a bad judgment on a person, and you judge someone negatively, what happens is, and you rebuke someone that may not be willing to take it, what happens is, that soul, which was not really affected by God's, by his, God wasn't really affected by this person's sins anymore. What happens is now God, reins, uh, that, in, uh, that uh, what do you call it, that effect is reinvigorated in a sense. And God gets more affected by this, and he starts reinstating the judgments on this person again. So Rabbi Nachman said, make sure it's very important never to judge someone because you're by judging someone, you completely ruin him. You, you draw upon judgments and judgments and judgments upon him. So Rabbi Nathan, it says, Rabbi Yisrael Dovodeser, who is a big, a big Hasid Breslev, and we'll talk about him, God willing, when we continue the classes, hopefully, uh, with God's plan. Um, Rabbi Yisrael Dovodeser was a big Breslev Hasid, um, who was a big part of the revolutionary of Breslev in Eretz Yisrael and stuff like that within the past hundred years, he's a big reason why Breslev is very big today. In fact, all the Mesiru Nefesh, all the sacrificing of the soul that he gave was literally all for Rabbi Nachman's books and everything. And you see that he had to suffer many things to, just to do this, just to, to spread the books of Rabbi Nachman because the books of Rabbi Nachman are very controversial in the sense that not everyone's willing to take it because there's a principle in Judaism we have to know. The higher the Ketusha, the higher the Machloket, the higher the argument upon it. We know Moshe Rabbeinu had all the argument against him. Datan ve'aviram, Korach. Korach was, was just as big of a tzaddik as Moshe Rabbeinu, if not even bigger. He had more wisdom than Moshe. Meaning, even the biggest tzaddikim are fighting against other tzaddikim. As we know, as we know, Korach was a tzaddik before he became and all these, before he became bad and all these things. Tzaddik katamar yifrach. Tzaddik is like a, like a, what do you call it? Is like a day tree that's about to blossom. What is it? A palm tree, my bad, thank you. Um, the tzaddik is like a palm tree. And why? Take the last letters of tzaddik, katamar, yifrach, it's korach. Tzaddik, kuf, katamar, resh, yifrach, chet, it's korach. Meaning even korach was a tzaddik. So, korach had all these, these wisdoms and all these things that was able to fight against Moshe Rabbeinu, just to show you how even the big tzaddikim can fight against the big tzaddikim. We know that Arizal had much opposition. Rabbi Nachman was very known for his opposition as well. So we see in the course of history, especially with these five nishamot that we're talking about, that these nishamot are attracted to opposition because this world cannot live without it, without opposition. In fact, there's a story about Rabbi Nachman when his soul was coming down, that the Satan came to Hashem and said, if this soul comes down, I lose my job forever. Why? Because if this soul comes down, he's going to do the tikkun haolam. It's finished. Why am I here in this world for? You brought me in this here to cause machroket. So what am I here in this world for? You brought me in this world to... To, to be an agent of free will. So what am I doing here if you're going to bring a tzaddik that's going to choose everyone on the right path? What did Hashem say? I understand. So the only thing we'll be able to do is if machloket. Machloket will come down. And that's why at the 
the Brit Mila of Rabbi Nachman, his mother, Fega, and, his, and her brother, um, Rabbi Baruch, who was Rabbi Nachman's uncle, obviously. And he's buried right next to the Baal Shem Tov. And he was a very big tzaddik. Rabbi Nachman is obviously the great-grandson of the Baal Shem Tov. So just to show you the lineage. He descends from David Amelech and all these things. But Fega, who was very... Who, they called her the prophetess, Fega Anadia, because she had so much Ruach HaKodesh. It was unbelievable. It said that she asked her brother for a blessing. Give me a blessing that this, my son will not have machroket. And Rabbi Baruch, it says, at the Brit Milah, as it passed down from breast of her tradition, it says, no, I can't do this. I can't give you this bracha. Because it's already been decreed that from the moment he's been conceived in this world, he'd have machroket. It's, it's lost. Machroket is good. It's, it's bound for him. And in fact, even Rabbi Baruch, his own uncle, was, was one of the people who ensued machroket on him. Just to show you how big the Ketusha is, how big the opposite side there is, the Yetzirah there is trying to push you against from it. So there's things that we aren't necessarily tended to, we're not necessarily familiar with these concepts, but it's very important to understand that we don't know everything, and to, the one main principal thing is to understand that we don't know when we come to the tzaddik. The one rule to come to the tzaddik is to understand that we don't know. It's bitul, it's called nullification. To come to the tzaddik, to start learning from the tzaddik, like Rabbi Nachman, the Bar Tov, and all these people, it means to say something. I don't know anything. So, to finish off, we're going to speak a little bit about Aminatan and the Pasha. How much time is there? How much time there is left on the, on the video? Did it say? Sorry, we can read it. Okay, so I'll make it a little quick. That way I don't keep everyone's time. But... That way we could get to the parasha and Rabbi Nathan real quick. But to speak a little bit about Rabbi Nathan, because Rabbi Nathan manifested this concept of bitul, nullification before the tzaddik. Because when you come to the tzaddik, you have to know you forget everything. Just to show you a little bit about Rabbi Nathan's greatness. It says Rabbi Nathan, Rabbi Nachman said Rabbi Nathan's soul was one of the only neshamot that never came back in Gilgul. It said about Rabbi Nathan's soul, he was a completely pure neshama. Not even a neshama that's been recycled for the, for the fact that he had a sin previously or anything else. Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Nathan's neshama is no, had no gilgul, there was no reincarnation of it, meaning it was the first time that neshama came down to the world. And we know at the Arizal generation, which was a few hundred years earlier, he said every soul in this world is at least two or three times reincarnated. Just to imagine. So Rabbi Nathan had a very specific neshama that had no taint of sin even from the first place. Said Rabbi Nathan growing up, he grew up in a house of what we call a mitnaged. A mitnaged is an opposer being what? There's Hasidut and there's Mitnagdim. As is very known, the Hasidim were very much into bringing back Torah and Kedusha and inspiring the most simplest of Jews. And Mitnagdim were very much, if you're not learned and if you're not studying all day and if you're not very rigorous in your study and your, your Torah, then you don't really have a place in the Bet Midrash. It's all this stuff. So there's very two different concepts and two different branches of the Torah. Rabbi Natan grew in the exact opposite of house of what he'd eventually end up. He grew up, literally, in the house of a tzaddik. He ended up becoming the, the son-in-law of the tzaddik, Rabbi David Tzvi Hagadol. They called him Hagadol. The Rabbi David Tzvi, the great. Rabbi David Tzvi Aorbach. At that time, it says Rabbi David Tzvi was Rav over 80 towns, 70 towns, I think. 70 towns in Eastern Europe. And not a town like we know today. Towns of hundreds of thousands of families, each town. He was the Rav, he was a posek of each town. What did, Rabbi, what did Rabbi David Tzvi say? He said whenever he first came to find a, a husband for his, his young daughter, who was 12 at the time, Rabbi Nathan got married at 12, Rabbi Nathan got married at the age of 13. Just to show you. 
Rabbi Nathan, when I, it says about Rabbi David Tzvi Agadol, when he came to see Rabbi Nathan, when he came to, to the cheder of all the young kids growing up in that region, to choose a kid, uh, to choose a son for a, a son-in-law, basically, it said, why did he choose Rabbi Nathan? Because he said he saw he had big shoulders. He had strong shoulders. Not for his learning, for his strong shoulders. And we know Rabbi Nathan grew up, he became a chacham of the generation. It's a, they called, Rabbi, they called Rabbi Nathan the pride of Nemirov. The pride of Nemirov, his town where he grew up in. And we know his town, there were many big tzaddikim that came from there. Big, big tzaddikim. The pride of his town. Can you imagine? So, Rabbi Nathan, he knew, Shas, he knew all the Gemara, all the Masech Tot Gemara, called by the age of 16. It was finished. He was, he, he, he was supposed to be posek under his, meaning his father-in-law was supposed to give him his position by the age of 20. At the age of 20, Rabbi Nathan was supposed to have a position over 80 towns, to be the Rav of 80 towns, if you can imagine. This was not something normal. Rabbi David in fact, it says only about him did they write a book of his praises while he was still alive. We know that the Bar Shem Tov, they wrote a book about the praising of the Bar Shem Tov. Bar Shem Tov. But Rabbi David Tzvi Agador also they wrote a book while he was still alive, just to imagine. Not about any other tzaddik that did this. Only about, the, only about the Rabbi David Tzvi Agador. It says about Rabbi David Tzvi Agador that the way he would sleep was that he wouldn't sleep actually. He wouldn't go to his bed. He wouldn't have a bed. It said the way he'd sleep is he'd be sitting at the table studying. And when he'd be done, he'd take a candle, light it. And when the candle would burn out, he'd know to wake back up because it'd burn his hand. So he'd sleep like this. And by the time the candle burnt his hand and the wax had melted and the fire had hit his hand, he'd wake back up and continue his, his day again. He wouldn't have sleep normally. That's Rabbi Divi Tzvi Agador. And it says about Rabbi Divi Tzvi that Rabbi Nachman called him a tzaddik. And when Rabbi Nachman calls someone a tzaddik, there's no joke there. And Rabbi Divi Tzvi, he wouldn't even do netirat adayim because he said there's so many stringencies with bread and netirat adayim, I'd rather even not do anything. So... We're talking about a level here that's unparalleled about Rabbi David Tzvi. Rabbi Nathan grew under his home against a person, with a person that is against Hasidut. His own father, Rabbi Nathan's own father, which I think his name was Rabbi Naftali, his own father was against Hasidut. And when Rabbi Nathan came to Rabbi Nachman for the first time, we'll describe the story a little bit. Rabbi Nathan, Rabbi Nathan started learning Mishnayot again because Rabbi Nachman said, I see that your neshama, I need a rectification. The rectification of your soul, you need to study 18 Mishnayot every day for the rest of your life. 18 Prakim and Mishnayot. And when Rabbi Nathan came back home and he started reading his Mishnayot for the first time, his father-in-law said, who's prescribing you to read Mishnayot? You're, you, you know Shas Kol, you know all the Poskim, you know everything. And you're going to start reading Mishnayot, you're going to go back to the basics. Rabbi Nathan said, the tzaddik's telling me to do this, he knows my neshama. Rabbi David Tzvi, what kind of tzaddik is this? And when he found out later that Rabbi David Tzvi found out that Rabbi, Nachman was, Rabbi Nathan was even learning more and was getting closer to Hashem because of Rabbi Nachman, he said, ah, if that's the case, then I needn't be. Just to show you how, how the path goes. But Rabbi Nathan's story is fascinating. And it says about a story that he started like this young, starting from a young age to become uh, the, pride of, uh, the pride of his town and the pride of his, uh, his basically, uh, Eastern Europe. And he felt something missing though. So it says he went from tzaddik to tzaddik until he came to Hasidut. And it says he came to Hasidut and he came to the biggest tzaddikim of Hasidut. It says he went from the grand, the gr it says he went to the grandson of the Magid of Mezrich, the, the main uh, student of Hashem Tov. He studied with him for years. 
He said, I still feel something missing. Where did he go to? Rabzusha. Rabzusha Vanipoli. He's the big tzaddik, the, 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 the brother of Rabbi Noam Melimelech. And we know many stories of these two. They're tzaddikim we can't even imagine. We don't even know. It says about Rabzusha, the way he wake himself up at Chatzot at midnight to do the lamentations over the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, where he screamed, Zusha, Zusha, you'll sleep in your kever. Not now. You'll sleep in your kever. That's, how, that's the force of the tzaddikim. They don't, Nothing, nothing taints them, nothing, uh, nothing phases them. It's all for the service of Hashem. There's no temptation for this world. And he studied with Rabzusha, and even that wasn't good for him. And it said the final stop was Rabbi Levi Yitzchak in Berdichev. And he, the Berdichever was a big tzaddik, as we all know. The Berdichever Rav. It says he was known, actually, for judging every Jew positively. That was his main thing. He became the defender, the defense attorney of every Jew, of the Jewish people. Just to show you. So Rabbi Nathan came to him, and it says Rabbi Nathan, one day, ended up at Melava Malka with all of the students of the, the Berdishev Rav. And we know the Berdishev main book, the Kedusha Nevi, even Rabbi Nathan wrote some parts of that book. Just to show you how big of, how in-depth he was with uh, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak. And this was the closest he got to feeling something. But he said even this wasn't enough. So one night, I came to Malka after Shabbat and he was with all the students. And what happened? It said that when he was with all the students, they did a raffle to pull out who's going to go get bread for Melave Malka. And what happened? Rabbi Nathan's name got picked. And Rabbi Nathan starts going to the store. And he starts walking to the store and he stops in the middle of the way. He says, I came to this world to go buy bagels for Melave Malka. I'm not even learning Torah. I'm, not even, I'm, I'm here searching for Hashem and I'm here to go buy bagels. So what did he do? He took a reroute. He went to the Beit HaMidrash and he went to, the, he went to the, the, the Beit Knesset, the Shul. And it says he went to the women's section. Why? Because there was no one there and all the men's section was filled up. So he wanted his own own time. And he went there and he started doing his meditation with Hashem. It said he started reading Tehidim and he started crying so much to the point where he fell asleep crying. Out of so much sadness and a broken heart that he couldn't find Hashem. For years he's been searching and he's been missing something. And when he, cr and he started crying, he fell asleep, he had a dream. And what was the dream? He started climbing the ladder, starts taking one step, two steps, three steps up the ladder, and falls. He gets back up and goes five steps, six steps, falls. And he does this several times, goes even higher and falls. And at one point, he gets right to the top and falls. He has the biggest fall. And from that fall, when he's at the bottom, a face pops out at the top of the ladder. It says, Cl keep climbing, but hold yourself. Keep climbing, but hold yourself. Stay strong. A year later, Rabbi Nathan met Rabbi Nachman. What did he realize? That face at the top of the ladder was Rabbi Nachman. When he came to Rabbi Nachman, he said, ah, I recognize your face. Rabbi Nachman said, I've known your soul for a long time. In fact, for thousands of years I've known your soul. But I haven't, uh, we, we, haven't known, we haven't met each other in a while. So <laughs> this is going to be the start of a, of a beautiful thing that's going to that's gonna unleash. And there's stories we could speak about all day about the encounter between Rabbi Nachman and Rabbi Nathan. But um, Rabbi Nathan, what I find the beautiful part is, and why he passed away on Asara Betevet, as Rabbi Moshe was explaining last year also, which was beautiful because it perfectly tied into what we were going to explain tonight, was that Rabbi Nathan's entire thing was the mercy, because Rabbi Nachman has so much mercy over us to be able to rectify all of our souls. Because all the rectifications have to come through the tzaddik, the bala tzaddik, the master of the field. Rabbi Nachman is going to undergo all the suffering in the world to rectify every soul. As he said, I'm not here, I'm in Gainam, suffering for every sin of every Jewish people. Because he takes upon sins upon himself. He has a lesson in Qutumoran just discussing how Rabbi Nachman, how he said, had tzaddik, 
מוכרח לעשות תשובה בעד בני ישראל. וצדיק is forced to do תשובה for on behalf of בני ישראל. So, רבי נחמן is forced on behalf of this. And רבי נחמן understood that just like the צדיק has so much mercy for each and every one of our souls, so too we should have each and we should have this mercy, this, this positivity towards each and every Jew. That we shouldn't make each and every Jew feel bad. And this was Rabbi Nathan Zinyan. Everything he did was to make another Jew feel at home, to feel comfortable. Everything he did was to bring another Jew back. Because when you come to the bigger the tzaddik, the more he's able to bring back neshamot. And what filled in the gap for Rabbi Nathan, we can say, for such a pure neshamot like Rabbi Nathan was coming back to a tzaddik uh, that's able to rectify the lowest neshamot. That was his mission. To come down here to bring back all the lowest ones. And just to tie it into the parasha for the last point, sorry to, to keep you guys. <clears throat> it says in the parasha, Vayigash elav Yehuda, and Yehuda approached Yosef. What is it, this word approaching? And there's a beautiful concept here that Rabbi Nathan begins to speak about. What's Vayigash elav Yehuda? And it says later that once they approached him, Vayigashu elav, and they, um, what do you call it? And it says yeah, Yehuda approached him, and later in the parasha, it says about Yehuda that he came to approach Yosef and he starts speaking in his ear and may I speak a word in my master's ear. And the story goes on, the discussion, how Yehuda ended up wanting to fight for Binyamin so that he could bring Binyamin back to Yaakov. We're not going to get into the details, but later in the parasha, it says that Yosef asked them to approach him. Why? Because he's about to reveal himself. It says, what did Yosef say? It says, what did it say? Yosef couldn't stand himself. And he calls out and he says to his brothers, I'm Yosef, your brother. And Yosef, what did it say? It says, approach me. And they came and approached him. What's this idea? Yosef asking him, approach me. What is it? What is it speaking about? I mean, Nathan says, what are you learning from there? What do you learn from here? That all the tzaddikim, all the brothers had to approach who the tzaddik? Because we know Yosef is Yosef a tzaddik. Even Moshe Rabbeinu, to get all the Jews out of Egypt, had to, do, had to do what? Bring out the bones of Yosef from Egypt, as Zohar says. Because what? Even Moshe needed a tzaddik. Meaning Moshe needs to bring back the previous tzaddik. And it says the Yamsuf split in the merit of Yosef. Because just like Yosef fled before Eshet Potiphar in, the temptation of, uh, um, in that temptation, so too the sea fled before Yosef when it saw its bones. So, in the merit of Yosef, the tzaddik will be redeemed. And that's why Yosef says, approach me. Why? Because the entire tikkun of this world, the essence of tikkun of this world is to approach the tzaddik. To approach the tzaddik at the level of Yosef. And what did it say? They approached him. Meaning all the sins that they've done, which are unrepairable after what they did. They sold their brother to Egypt. Their brother represents an entire sfirah of its own. Yosef represented the sfirah of they saw this as a foundation, the Brit. He's the tzaddik of the generation. You sent him into Egypt, which is called Erbata Aretz, the, the nakedness of the land. You sent the tzaddik, the purity of the Brit, into the worst place in the world. That's irreparable. Even the Zohar says, for the damage of the Brit, it's not repairable. But Rabbi, Rabbi Nachman says, yes, it is. I understood what the Zohar meant by that. And to understand it, I went to the highest place and suffered very much to bring down a Torah that says, yes, it is repairable. Everything's repairable. And what's Rabbi Nachman saying? here in this Inyan, because Rabbi Nathan and Rabbi Nachman, it's the same idea. Approach me, approach the tzaddik. And when you approach the tzaddik, what's the next pasuk? What does it say? And now don't be sad. Because when you approach the tzaddik, there's no reason to worry. Rabbi Nachman says, um, the, the, the essence, it says, the entire phrase is, the entire world is a very narrow bridge. But the principle, the matter, is not a fear whatsoever. Don't be afraid. Why? Be happy. 
When you approach a tzaddik, you have everything to be happy about. Because when you approach a tzaddik, he's going to bring you closer to Hashem. And when you do this, God willing, maybe uh, when the brothers did this, they were able, God willing, to repair the sin. But what was the problem? It says in the next week's parasha, in parashat Vayachi, this is what we'll finish off. It says in parashat Vayachi that they didn't repair it. Why? Which we know later in the Gemara, we know that the ten martyrs that came later at the time of the, at the Tanaim, we know Rabbi Akiva was one of the ten martyrs. Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel. All these martyrs, these ten martyrs, were actually reincarnations of the ten uh, souls of the, the ten tribes who sold Yosef. Meaning that what they came down to the world was to repair the, soul, the sin of selling Yosef. That's what the Midrash says. In fact, if you add up all the Gematriyot, funny enough today, just to show you, the Hashkacha Pratit, the Divine Providence today, my brother sent me a picture of this Chidush, and he didn't even know I was, speaking about, I was gonna speak about this tonight, about how each of the names of the 10 martyrs, if you add up all the Gematriyot, all the numerical values of these names, and you add up all the numerical values of the names of the 10 Shvatim, you actually get what? The equal number. I will find it for you right now as I pull it up. But it's the same. It's the same number if you add it up, and it's pretty crazy. What did it say? They are. If you add up all the names of the ten martyrs and all the names of the ten brothers, it's two thousand eight hundred fifty-two, both of them. So, just to show you, what was the problem? If we say they repaired the sin because you come to the tzaddik, if you come to the tzaddik, you repair all the sins. Then how did there have to be ten martyrs? How there have to be ten martyrs if they repaired the sin? If we say that coming to the tzaddik is the ultimate rectification, then. That's not true because we learn later from the 10 martyrs that they didn't rectify the sin. And what's the proof? Is that, how do we explain this? Is that in Parashat Vayechi, it says after Yosef, Yaakov blessed all the brothers, the brothers conspired and spoke between each other. And what did they say? Now Yosef's gonna kill us. They thought that once Yaakov would pass away, Yosef was just hiding his vengeance because of in the merit of his father in order that later, once he passed away, he, he, he'd punish them. The brothers didn't believe in the tzaddik. The brothers didn't believe that the tzaddik would actually bring them benefit. And because the brothers don't believe in the tzaddik, I met the tzaddik of the generation, what happens? The 10 martyrs have to happen, which is the worst, the most graphic, the worst thing you can possibly imagine. So to show you the, the importance of binding yourself to the tzaddik, and that's where we'll end off tonight, that God willing, with this, as we'll move forward, God willing, and Hopefully we'll try to keep it on time because I feel like I reached that. I went uh, further. But in honor of Rabbi Nathan and uh, honor of Rabbi Nachman and honor of all the tzaddikim, um, may we merit to come closer to tzaddikim. All the tzaddikim, in truth, because all the tzaddikim have something to, 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 to offer. But specifically, Rabbi Nachman's mission, which, which encompasses all of the other ones. And when you bind yourself to tzaddik like Rabbi Nachman, it's the, it's the final point of the tikkun. It's the final reparation of the sin of Adam, where you bring back all the nishamot to a soul that is encompassing all 600,000 nishamot. When we do this, God willing, when we learn more Torah like this, and continue to, to study like this, like we did tonight, God willing, we'll be able to come close to the tzaddik, to do our tikkun, to come close to Hashem, to pray with a little more enthusiasm, to learn a little bit more, and God willing, to start uh, repairing ourselves little by little, step by step, as Rabbi Nachman would say. So, thanks for coming tonight, and... Thank you.